right, well, you guys ready to get started with the, the last in the series on the book of Galatians? Man, I didn't see, I didn't hear any excitement. I don't think they want to finish. Praise God. <laughs> well, whether you want to or not, we're doing it. <laughs> so, this will be the, the fifth and the last in the series on the book of Galatians, we're going to go ahead and uh, finish up with chapter 5 and also go through chapter 6. And if you remember last week, we saw Paul basically laboring over his relationship that he had with the Galatians because he's basically letting them know that, guys, I love you. And the reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm telling you this is because I care about you. I'm not trying to puff myself up, but it's because I love you. And, and you know why I was there, why I planted the church, and, and why have things changed. But he labored over his relationship with them. And then we took a, a little bit of look at the difference between the old and the new covenants. And then we saw that if we choose to basically keep any part of the law, then we're obligated to, obligated to keep the whole law. We can't pick and choose. It's, it's not choose your own law. You've got you to gotta stick with it if you're going to try to follow it. But thank God that we're not under the law. We're actually under grace this morning. Amen? And now this week, Paul's going to just implore the Galatians to, to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And he's going to describe what that looks like in a believer's life. Amen? You guys ready? All right. Galatians five sixteen through 18. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Sorry, I had to find my water. You see, as Christians, we're living out what was written in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36:27 it says, "And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules." And what that is is God placed his spirit inside of us. You'll notice in that scripture it says, "I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes." It says the spirit causes us to walk in his ways. And that's a good thing because if you've ever tried to do it on your own, at least in my life, I I failed terribly at it. I wanted to walk right. I wanted to do the right thing. Matter of fact, Paul talked about it, I believe, in the book of Romans where he said, I wanted to do the right things. I agreed with the law, but I just couldn't. Sin inside me wouldn't let me. But God has placed His Spirit inside of us, and He's made us brand new, and it's what it influences how we live our lives. When When the believer gets saved, a miracle takes place at that moment. You know, this is not just a decision you make in your head and everything from that point forward changes, but a miracle takes place inside of you. And your old nature is removed. Your old nature is crucified and dies with Christ, and you're given a brand new nature inside of you. And at this point, one of two things can happen. We can live from the reality of this new nature inside of us and begin living how God has created us to be. Or we can slip back into our old ways, our old habits, and our desires. We can, we can, like the Scripture says, a dog returns to his vomit. We can go back to those old things. And it ultimately begs the question, did we really make a real decision for Christ? If our life doesn't change, if, if there's no change, then what really happened? Was it just lip service or did we actually receive the grace of God inside of us? 
And it's not to say that, that uh, I don't want you to take me as, as if you get saved and everything doesn't change automatically, then nothing's happening. But there should be, we should notice some things. There should be some change. There should be some progression. For some people, it happens overnight. Their whole life is completely changed. It didn't happen that way for me. It took some time. And my life gradually, as I gradually grew into what God had created me on the, on the inside, I, I like to think of it as, my, as your body has to catch up to the work that was done inside of you. But there's always progression. There's growth. There's something happening. There's evidence for what happened. But if we just go back to the old ways, it, it begs the question, did we really make that decision or was it all lip service? But if we walk by the Spirit, then we're living from that new nature that has been placed inside of us. That is why as Christians that we work, uh, we work from victory and not towards it. And we're, we're not working towards wholeness as a Christian, but from wholeness. We're not working towards righteousness. We're not trying to become righteousness, but we're living our life from righteousness. And we're not working towards freedom, but we're working from freedom. The reality that those things have happened inside of us. We are made free. We are victorious. We are whole. And we're living from that instead of working towards it. If you can get your mind wrapped around that, it'll change your whole view of how you live your life. Recognizing that you're not trying to become righteous, but you already are righteous, so just live it out. That's why... Also why Paul says that when we walk by the Spirit, we're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. But we're, the desires of the, of the Spirit are against the flesh and vice versa. It says when we walk by the Spirit, we're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh because we're living from something different. We're walking in the reality of the finished work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And our minds are on things above. Our spirit is in line with His Spirit. And they walk side by side. We'll see a little while later that, that we're to walk in step with the Spirit. And we're not focused inwards on the desires of the flesh, but we're focused outwards because of the change that's made inside of us. But one of the biggest problems that we can have is we forget what has been done inside of us. We forget that we've been made brand new. We forget that we're victorious in Jesus. We forget that we are free and we slip into the autopilot mode of our old life. We begin to slip back into those old habits because we forget. That's why we need to spend time on our words so we can look at what the God says about us and we can remember who we are in Christ. Because so often we slip back into those old ruts without even realizing it. That we're not those people anymore. That, that old man is dead and gone. He was dead and buried with Christ and you were given a new spirit inside of you. Or for others, maybe there's Christians that have never even been told these things. I know that's how it was in my life. When I was, when I was little, I got saved and I, and I knew I needed to be saved, but nobody ever taught me correctly what that meant. It's like old Mr. Yates during the, the Great Depression. And he, he was living in the Great Depression. He lived on this huge ranch. And like most people at the time, that they were, they were so poor, they were so broke, that they were all living on government subsidy. And they didn't know what they were going to do to pay their bills. They didn't know what was going to Were they going to lose their ranch? Were they going to lose everything? And, a, and an oil company came in to Mr. Yates and he said, hey, we think that there's some, some, some oil on your land. Can we go ahead and, and just dig a pilot, pilot well? So he leased, he needed the money, so he leased out this little well and, and they drill and they find an incredible amount of oil. 
And then he, they continue to drill more and more wells, and they're putting out, you know, like 125,000 barrels a day, some of these oil fields. And even today, this day, that this, this ranch is producing incredible amounts of oil. And the reality was that this man was living on a field of riches that he didn't understand. He was living on his land, and he was, he was basically a multimillionaire and didn't know it. He was living in poverty when he had the greatest riches he could imagine right there with him. And that's what happens to Christians. We get saved, but we don't understand the riches that we have inside of us. We don't understand the life that we can live. We may, we may not even know. And that's why we're, we come this morning to learn, to see that, you know what, we are victorious. We are brand new. We don't have to live from the old self, but we have riches inside of us. But sometimes it just needs to be explained to us a little better. We need to get that revelation. In Acts 18, 24-26, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. You know, sometimes we just need to to learn the things that we didn't know. And then we can finally have a revelation of that victory in our lives, that freedom in our lives. And like I said, that's the way it was for me. I got saved and lived 20 years on the start line. I never left. I never did anything for God. I never lived a godly life. I just kept trying to do things my way. I, I wanted to be good. I tried to do the right things, but... I didn't know that I was already free. I didn't know that I was already victorious. I was working towards them instead of living from them. And if you can get your head around that, it'll, it'll change the way you live your life. Amen? And then Paul also begins to explain the, 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 how these two are opposed to each other. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. They're like the opposite sides of a coin. You can't have one and have the other. It's, it's one or the other. You're either walking by the Spirit or you're walking by the flesh. This is why Christians, it should not be a habit for Christians to sin. Christians should be living sin-free lives. And I recognize that on occasion that we sin. It's true that, that many of us still do. Even pastors still sin. But it should definitely be a rare thing. It shouldn't be our our habit. It shouldn't be our our mainstay. Because we can't have both. Even those moments when we have those those laps of judgment or moments of weakness, it's because we've we've turned away from the Spirit. That's why it says to repent. Because you're either looking at the flesh or you repent, which is just an about face, or you're looking at God. It's one or the other. You can't have both. They're opposite sides of the coin. There is no middle road when it comes to these things. At best, people try to straddle the line in between, but then it just becomes works. At that point, there is no no middle line. If we're led by the Spirit, then we're not under the law. We aren't to fight against the flesh. Did you know you're not to fight against your flesh? Because the victory is already won. There's no fighting. If you're fighting, there's a problem. Don't fight against your, your flesh, but instead be led by the Spirit. Be led by the reality of what's happened inside of you. 
We can't defeat our flesh by our own doing. If we could have, we would have never had to, Jesus would have never had to die from us. But instead, let's live by the leading of the Spirit, by the work that Jesus Christ has done inside of us. Amen? In Galatians 5, 19 through 24, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This list isn't even exhaustive. It's a long list, and it's not exhaustive. It says, and things like these. In case you were like, mine's not on there. Things like these. If it's a sin, it's on there. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus have crucified the, the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize that these things up here in this list are not the things of God. You know, you can even ask a non-Christian and they'll tell you that no, those aren't godly. But the reality is that the the types of people that do these things, they're not going to make it into heaven. The types of people that do these things are people that aren't saved. And who you are dictates what you do. If you're saved, if you're brand new, you've been made new on the inside, that's going to dictate what you do. But if you're ruled by the flesh and its indulgences, it'll also dictate what you do. And somebody who's ruled by the by the flesh, someone that's not saved, that hasn't experienced the love and change that Jesus brings, these are the kinds of things that they do. So then, the question that I've always asked when I read these things, because this is uh, pretty cut and dry, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have to ask the question then, wait a minute, I know some Christians that have done these things. I'm a Christian. I may have done some of these things. Does that mean that I'm out? Have I been given the boot? Anybody asking that question? In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, this is Paul speaking a very similar line of argument. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexual Sexual, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But the key point that he says after this one, he says, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, Paul was speaking to the Corinthian church in that instance, and it's obvious that the people of that church, the Christians, were doing those things. If they weren't doing those things, Paul wouldn't have had to deal with it, right? He wouldn't have wrote the letter if they weren't going through some of that stuff. But Paul says, that's who you were. That's not who you are now. He says, such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been cleaned. He says, that's who you were, not who you are now. Stop acting like who you were. You see, the people that, that, that aren't saved, the people that haven't had their life changed, that aren't born again, this is the kind of things they do because they're ruled by, by sin. But as Christians, 
These aren't the kind of things Christians do. So if you're doing them, stop acting like your old self. That's not who you are anymore. It's like the, the man who was going on a business trip and he, he's running out of time. He didn't plan right. He needed some stuff dry cleaned. So he's going through the phone book and he sees this store across town that says one hour dry cleaning. So he rushes down there. He walks up to the counter and he says, hey, I need this done in an hour. And she goes, well, sorry, the soonest we can have that done for you is next Thursday. It's Monday. It's like, wait a minute, next Thursday? You s- it says one hour dry cleaning. That's the name of the store. And she goes, oh, that's just our name. Some Christians are like that. That's just, my, that's just what I call myself, a Christian. We don't want to be like this one-hour dry cleaner that can't get your laundry done but for a week. That's not who we are. We're Christians. Let's live that way. That's who we used to be. Let God work through your life to get through those things. Let, let God do His work inside of you. We don't want to be Christians that are not living the life that we're making a claim to. And then when we do slip up, because we might, don't lose heart. Don't check yourself off. Don't, re- don't go, oh man, I, I messed up again. I guess I'm out. Like I said, as a, if, if, this is, if this is your lifestyle always, then we've got a problem. But making a mistake, the Bible says that the, the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up seven times. If you fall, get back up. In 1 John 2, 1, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We ought to not sin. We ought to live holy and blameless lives because that's the result of the work that was done inside of us. But if we do sin, if we do fail, if we do fall, Jesus paid for those sins too. Not just the ones you've committed, but even ones you may commit in the future, those were paid for as well. So, if we know that we're supposed to walk by the Spirit, what does that look like? What does living by the Spirit look like in our lives? And it says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, because against such things there is no law. You'll notice that the 11th commandment was, Thou shall not love. The 12th commandment was, Thou shall not practice self-control. There's no law against these things. This is actually the result of the work that's done inside of you. People can say, I'm just not a loving person. If you've been saved, yes you are. You have a new life inside of you. A new spirit inside of you. You may be fighting with all you got, but that's who you are now. When we walk by the Spirit, this is the fruit that's produced in our lives. And if you've ever met anyone that's been truly saved, then you'll know that there's a difference in their lives. You look at their life and you're like, wait a minute, that's not the guy I used to know. And they're like, yeah, that's right, he's dead and gone. This is is the new me. And it's Jesus inside of me. So how is it that we can walk that way, that we can live that way? It's because our flesh was crucified with Christ. It says, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, there's this idea going around a lot of, a lot of churches that we have to crucify the flesh. Anybody ever heard that? You must crucify your flesh. Does that word say crucify? It says crucified. 
I want you to know this is past tense. This has already happened. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh. It's not something we do daily. It's something that's been done. This is past tense. By faith, we were crucified with Christ. When Christ was crucified, our old self was crucified. Romans 6.6 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves, enslaved to sin. And by faith, we accept what God has said about us and about the flesh. And that's it. It's been crucified. It's been killed. It's done with. And then in Romans 13.14, it says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When we put on Jesus, there's no room for the flesh. Like I said, walking by the Spirit or walking by the flesh, is, it's two opposite sides of the coin. It's only one or the other. And when we put on Jesus, we make no provision for the flesh. When we walk and we are led by the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. Amen? Galatians 5, 25-26, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It says, if we live by the Spirit. As Christians, we do live by the Spirit. If you've been saved, you have the Spirit living inside of us, and if you let yourself be led by Him, you're living by the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit that gives us life inside of us. Romans 6, 7-11 says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We live by the Spirit because we've been saved and we live out the reality that's happened inside of us. And he says, if that's the case, let us keep step, keep in step with the Spirit. When I was in the army, and you guys have probably seen it, have you seen, seen armies march? You know how they, they walk together perfectly, they move together, their steps are aligned. That's what it meant to keep in step. When we marched and stepped, that's what it meant is that all of the soldiers marching looked exactly the same. When one soldier moved with his left foot first, <laughs> left foot first. <laughs> wow, that was a good one. Then the other soldiers did as well. When they began to make a left turn, the whole thing turned as a unit. And that's what keeping step was in the military. And the same thing is true for us as we keep step with the Spirit. That means that we imitate what the Spirit is doing. That means that these fruits right here, the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, etc. It's because the reason why those are produced in our lives is because we're keeping step with the Spirit. That's who the Spirit is. And when we align ourselves with Him, when we walk with Him, when we keep in step with Him, then we're going to look just like Him. Just like the soldier in the back of the platoon is in step with the person in the front. They're all in step together. They look like each other. And the same is true for us being in step with the Spirit. His love becomes our love. His compassion becomes our compassion. And I want you to know the Spirit is not conceited. The Spirit does not provoke people. And the Spirit is not envious. When we find those, those attitudes coming forth in our lives, because we're no longer in step with the Spirit. 
But if we are on the step with the Spirit, we won't have those attitudes in our life. And just like the fruits, and that these fruits, just like salvation, is not of our own doing, but it's the Spirit of God working inside of us. There was a little boy once who planted an apple tree with his dad. And he ran inside and he told his mom, 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 Dad and I planted the tree and now we're going to go hang apples on it. That's not how it works. We don't get saved and then we do all the work and we do all the things. We're not hanging apples on our own tree, but that life inside of us produces the fruit just like the life inside of an apple tree produces apples. Amen? Amen. When we walk in step with the Spirit, He's going to produce fruit in our lives. Galatians 6, 1-5, through it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. The new law, the law that we're under, is the law of grace. It's the law of Christ. <clears throat> Where does it go? Uh-oh. There it is. <laughs> it says, bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the new law that we're under. Not the law of Moses, which is all about the, the flesh and doing works of ourselves, but the law of Christ, which is what He's accomplished in us. So the question is, is how do we fulfill that law? Well, fortunately, Paul spells it out for us. It's not left for us to figure out. It's by putting others first. We're fulfilling the law of Christ. It's outward looking and not inward looking. It's selfless and not selfish. The scripture says if we find anyone caught in a transgression, that we should kick them out of the church and, and shun them and ignore them and never speak to them again. That's not what it says. It says, if someone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We're supposed to encourage each other to lift one another up. It's been said that the Christian army is the only army that shoots their wounded. But it says those who are spiritual, those who are, have experienced grace and are living from it, go ahead and, and, and let's restore people. You see, the one who is wrapped up in the law, the one who is worked on, is wrapped up in their works and, and their own spiritual needs, they don't have time for the spiritual needs of others because they're so busy trying to improve themselves. But as Christians, we should be investing our lives in other people. But then he warns us that we need to keep watch on ourselves when we do so, lest we too be tempted. There was once a young man who was a leader in his church and he had never been tempted or involved in pornography. He had never dealt with it before at all. But he recognized that it was a problem for men in the church and he wanted to, to help them. He says here that, that if people were in transgression, he, he wanted to restore them. He had the right heart. So he went out to, to begin to try to minister to these men and he said, you know what, I wonder what this whole thing is about. I don't understand you know, maybe I have to figure out what's going on to see what they're dealing with. And 
he finally gets exposed in the midst of helping this man. He gets exposed to pornography. And the end result was he himself became addicted to pornography. You know, we need to be wise about how we're doing things as well. We need to make sure that we're, we're paying attention. We don't get wrapped up into the very same things that we're trying to lift people out of. Amen? And also we need to be there for one another to bear one another's burdens. These things are how we fulfill the law of Christ by lifting one another up. The scripture says if someone needs clothes, clothe them. If someone needs food, feed them. If someone needs prayer, pray with them. Then it goes on to sigh, on to sigh, go on to say, man, I haven't had a day like this in a while. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with me. What's that? Oh. <laughs> it says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I like the way the, the New Living Translation translates it like this. It says that if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. You know, that's what it says. It says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, because, but if anybody thinks he's too high and mighty to do that, yeah, you got that wrong. Even Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, but let each one, of his, each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. It almost seems like we've got a contradiction here, right? First it says, bear one another's burdens, and then it says <clears throat> that we have to bear our own load. But the idea here is that we're responsible for our own actions ultimately. We have to bear our own load. We're, you know, I can't, we can't have faith for somebody else. We can encourage people. We can lift them up. We can, we can tr- do our best to restore them. That's about bearing their burden, to help them get to where they need to be. But ultimately, they have to make the decision themselves. And the same is true in our lives. We have to make that decision as well, to bear the burden in our own lives. And when we look at our own work, when he's talking about bearing his own load, and then he says right here, let each of us test his own work, what it's talking about when we look at our lives is that we don't do it in the light of other people's. Have, have you ever had somebody say that, or even in your own life go, man, this is pretty bad, but John's a little bit worse, so I guess I'm not that bad. <laughs> Anybody ever done stuff like that? Like, man. I guess I'm not that bad. I mean, if you look at the other people I work with, I'm pretty good compared to them. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Don't compare yourself to other people, and then bear your own load. Because ultimately, you're responsible for yourself. What other people are doing is not going to make an impact in your life. You're never going to be able to stand before God and say, but everybody else was doing it. You're going to be responsible for yourself. Amen? And then in Galatians 6, 6-8 through 8 it says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul goes on to say that, you know what, preachers and teachers should be compensated. That's why when we have a guest minister come in, I always let everybody know, hey, 
let's let's be generous to them. Let's take we're going to take a special offering from them because they're sowing into our life spiritually. They have a right that we should be sowing into their life with material things. This is why pastors should get paid. Because it's right to share material blessing with those who impart spiritual blessing. You know, Paul, if you look at the Scriptures, he didn't receive money from those he was ministering to. He didn't want money to be a stumbling block for those who were unsaved. But he did teach that if you were in a church, that the people that were, that were part of that should be supporting those who were teaching and preaching. They should be supported by the gifts of the people. But he also talks about it in light of sowing and reaping. It's not just about the pastors being taken care of. It's not just about the preachers and teachers being taken care of. It's talked about in this this idea of sowing and reaping, which is a, a principle that you'll find all throughout the entire Bible. You reap what you sow. Matter of fact, this idea is not even, it's so ingrained in the world, it's such a law of God that, that even non-Christians understand what this means. In other religions, they refer to it as karma, which is just like you reap what you sow. You get what's coming to you. You know, that's, that's the idea. This, this rule, this, this principle is alive and well in our world, whether you're a Christian or not. And the idea being taught here is not just about pastors being taken care of, like I said, but it's also about the needs of the, of the believer being met as well. When we sow into other people's lives, then we reap what we sow. Whenever you plant a kernel of corn, how many know that a, a, a grapevine is not going to spring up in its place? If you plant an apple seed, an oak tree is not going to spring up in its place. Whatever you reap, you will sow. It says, do not, be deceived. do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Basically what he's saying is, is that this is going to happen. It's not sometimes. It's not every now and then. It's not something you can trick God with. This is the principle that this world operates on. And it's a fact. God will not be mocked. This means that we can be sure that this adage is true in our lives. But you know the other thing about sowing? is that not only do you receive what you put in the ground, right? Because this, this is an agrarian example. Whatever seed they put in the ground, that's what grew up. But did you ever notice that when you plant something in the ground, the return is always way more than what you put in? You know, and this is a good thing when we talk about sowing, uh, sowing love, right? If we sow love into someone's life, then we're going to receive an abundance of love back into our own, right? We'll reap even more. If we sow our finances into something then we'll reap even more. This is, these are good ideas that we all like, right? Like, man, we're gonna, this is going to be awesome. We're going to get it back. But we often, often forget that when we sow ungodly things, the principle is the same. If we sow bitterness, we shouldn't just expect an equal return of bitterness, but we're going to reap a harvest of, benefit, of bitterness in our lives. If we sow negativity or selfishness or gossip, then we're going to reap those very things. It's, and it's, we always reap more than what we put in. When you plant a kernel of corn, does a single kernel return? No, you get a stalk with thousands of kernels of corn on it. And the same is true for everything that we sow in our life. And if we sow to our own flesh, we're going to reap from the flesh corruption. But it says if we sow to the Spirit, we'll from the Spirit reap eternal life. Amen?
In Galatians 6, 9 through 10, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. You know, if it tells you not to grow weary of doing good, it's possible to grow weary of doing good. They wouldn't warn us not to if it wasn't a possibility for it to happen. It says, For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The other thing about sowing and reaping is that it takes time. It's, we live in a microwave generation today. We, we live in a world where we can put a burrito in the microwave, and in a minute and a half we can have a hot kind of tasty meal. But that's the generation we live in today, right? We want, we want it now. But unfortunately, God's promises don't work like that. The Bible says with faith and patience we inherit the promises. Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And that's one of the, the, the biggest downfalls, especially young Christians can fall into, is they're like, man, I heard the pastor talking about you know, tithing, and if I tithe, it's, it's going to come back on me. And, and I tithed last week and nothing happened, so I'm not doing this again. Man, I, you know, they said that if I, if I sowed love, then I would get it in return. So I went to work, and there's this guy that's, that's always a problem. You know, he's always causing me trouble. So I decided to be nice to him, and I did it for one day, and nothing changed. So I'm, I'm done with this. But the Scripture says, don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season you will reap. As Americans, we got this all screwed up. This, the whole idea of this instant gratification. I mean, we have that for everything now. We don't even have to go to the movies to see a movie. We don't have to go to Blockbuster anymore to get a movie. We used to have to drive all the way down to Blockbuster, rent it, throw it in. Somebody inevitably didn't rewind the tape, so then you've got to hit rewind, and you're all upset. And then we watch the movie, and then we've got to take it back. Nowadays, you just flip on Netflix, and it's right there. It's instant. That's the society that we live in. We want it now. But it's not like that always. Sometimes we have to wait. We have to be patient. But if we don't grow weary, if we don't give up, then we will reap. It's not a you might reap. We will reap if we give up. You see, if a farmer went out to his field two weeks after planting the crop and it wasn't a full harvest ready to go and he's like, you know what, I'm done with this. And he just plows it over and replants. He's never going to reap if he lives his life like that. But if he waits, if he tends his crop, if he continues to do those things, he'll continue to reap. When we were at the open house yesterday, I was sitting down talking to Charlie and and uh, he goes, man, I remember when you first moved up to Morana, we were out there doing outreaches, handing out flyers, trying to, to get people to come to your Bible study. This was pre-church. This was in, when we lived in Gladden Farms. We were just trying to get a Bible study going. And uh, we did that for almost two years and just got no foothold. We got nothing. I mean, nothing was happening. At best, we'd have somebody show up and they'd never come back again. I think it'll happen like twice. Most of the time, nobody would just show up. We couldn't get anybody to come to this Bible study. And that was for a couple years we went on like that. And then we did the, the couple years. We finally decided, you know what, we're just going to open the church and go for it. We're going to trust God. And, and we did that, and now you guys are all here. But we, we had years of trying to get ready for this. Before that, we were planning on doing this Bible study in Casa Grande. That didn't work out for, for whatever reason, and thank God for that. I think that was God just blessing us because we didn't want to move to Casa Grande, but we were going to because we were going to be faithful and be obedient. 
And then God's like, all right, you, you, you did what I asked you to do, so let me go ahead and, and give you this. But then we still went years and nothing. And I wasn't thinking much of it. I, we were just talking about remembering. He goes, but you know what? You didn't give up. I'm like, you're right. I didn't grow weary of doing good. And then you guys all came and joined me a couple years, over two years ago. And we were like, yeah, we're going to get going fast. We're going we're gonna to grow and, man, nothing for the longest time. It was just us. It's like nothing we could do to get people in here. And, uh, but instead of giving up, because we could have, we could say, you know what, maybe God just doesn't want this for our lives. We'll just we'll go find a different church and just go there. It'll be easier. But instead, we all stood together and we didn't grow weary of doing good. And tomorrow, we're going to reap what was ours in due season. God was faithful to us because we were faithful to Him. We continue to trust Him. And we're going to be in our building tomorrow or next Sunday. Well, I'll be there tomorrow too. Don't you worry. <laughs> God, I got work to do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, God was faithful. And you know what? We're going to start in that next building next week and there's going to be stuff that we want to happen right away that may not happen. But we're going to continue to do it. We're not going to grow weary. We're going to continue to trust God because His promise says that we will reap. Amen? Amen. And then Paul goes on to say that, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, as long as we have opportunity, we need to be taking care of one another, lifting up one another. Psalms 39.4 says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. You know, we're only here on this earth for a short time. In the grand scheme of things, this is like a drop in the bucket of eternity. And this is our opportunity to sow. You know, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any need to sow and reap. We're already there. But if we don't sow now, people aren't going to be there with us that should have been because we should have sowed. We have the opportunity now. And also with one another. We need to make sure that we're lifting one another up. He says, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of the faith. That's everybody in this room. Let's take care of one another. Amen? And then in... Galatians 6, 11 through 12, it says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Anybody ever read this and get like the big bad wolf? What big eyes you have. But he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You know, basically what this says, it says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Basically what he's saying is, hey, pay attention to this. I'm writing this myself. The Message Bible says it like this. Now in these last sentences, I want to emphasize, emphasize in the bold scrawls of my personal handwriting the immense importance of what I have written to you. In the Amplified Bible, it says, see with what large letters I am writing with my own hands. It says, mark carefully these closing words of mine. This stuff is important that he's about to go through. He thought it was so important that he was going to write it out himself. Normally, all these letters that were written are usually written by their scribes. Paul had people with him, working with him, and when he wrote letters, he had them write it for And they were practiced at it. They could write small letters, get a bunch on the page, and this is what they did. And they wrote these letters for him. 
But now Paul's saying, you know what? What I'm going to write now is so important, I'm going to write it with my own hand. It's kind of like the difference between getting a form letter from the President of the United States with just his signature on it, or if the President were to write you a personal handwritten letter. I mean, this is, this is good stuff here. This is the, the real deal. It's important. It means that much to him. He says, listen, the people that want you to be circumcised, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. They're doing it to puff themselves up. They're doing it to look good in front of the Jewish community to say, look at how many proselytes that I have, how many people I've converted to Judaism. This was, this was all about lifting themselves up. It wasn't about those who they were ministering to. It wasn't about the Galatian church, but it was about themselves. It would be kind of like us today going out and doing an outreach and, and bragging about how many people we got saved. When really it's God doing the work in those people's lives. God uses us as an instrument, but we give Him the glory for all that's done. And it says that they're only teaching this stuff to avoid persecution. They didn't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You know, Paul, for preaching what he preached, he dealt with a lot. He was stoned, he was, he was imprisoned, he was beaten. And these guys are like, you know what? We can appease these people to an extent if we, would just, if we just go along with them. If we just have them be circumcised and become Jews first, then everyone's going to be happy. They were just trying not to be persecuted. But Paul's saying that, you know what? That's not the way it is to be. And we're going to see in the next, the next verse how he begins to talk about his contrast of how he looks at things, but... That's what those people were doing. It was all for themselves. It wasn't about the Galatians. In 6, 13 through 16, it says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You see, the very ones that were requiring the Galatians to keep the law didn't keep it themselves. Because they weren't so much interested in the Galatians' spiritual well-being as they were in their own reputation among the Jews. But Paul contrasts his motives says that's how they are. But me, he says, far be it for me to boast in anything except for Jesus. His boasting was not in the Galatians, but in the work of Jesus in their lives. And he says that, that he has been crucified to the world and the world to him. You see, the Galatians being saved didn't bring Paul any glory. As far as he was concerned, the world was dead to him and him to the world. He's not in trying to impress the world. He's not in trying to impress anybody by getting people saved. He did it because he cared about them and he loved them. You know, when we go out there and we evangelize people and we get them saved and we rejoice with them, it's not because we're trying to make ourselves look good. It's because we genuinely care about the people in this community and we want them to have a better life. We want them to go to heaven. We want them to be free from the bondage of sin and death. We want them to have victory. We want them to have wholeness. We want their relationships to be stronger. We want their health to be good. We want these things for them. And it has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with God. And that's what he's saying here. I just simply loved you guys. It has nothing to do with these other people. And he says, 
For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's because the truth is that being circumcised, not being circumcised, none of that matters. Salvation is about being made brand new, about being a new creation. It's about being born again. Not about which bits of skin have been cut off of you and which haven't. And then he says, as for all who walk by this rule, and this rule that he's talking about here is, is that being crucified with Jesus, being a new creation, glorying only in Christ, that's the rule he's talking about. Those who walk by that, peace and mercy be upon them and the Israel of God or the church of God. And then we'll go ahead and end here. In Galatians 6, 17-18, as we close out the, the book, it says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You know, this whole first part of Galatians, the first two chapters, were all about Paul defending his apostleship. It was all about Paul defending his authority. And he didn't want to do that anymore. He's like, you know what, from now on, don't let anybody cause me trouble for this. Don't make me have to do this again. He says, because I bear on, the body the marks, on, the, on my body the marks of Jesus. He's saying, you know what, don't bother me with this junk again. Take a look at my life if you're concerned about whether I have the authority to do this stuff. Take a look. The testimony of my life is enough to show you that I live for Jesus and nothing else. He had lived and he had suffered and he had been persecuted for Jesus. Shipwrecked, beaten, stoned. Can you imagine that, being stoned for Jesus? They left him for dead. He got back up, went to the town and started preaching again. That's insane. He says, you know what? I bear the marks on my body. These, these other people that are trying to teach you something else, what do they have to show? So I can, I can, I can prove to you with my life that I'm living for him. And then he ends his letter with this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Not the law of Moses be with you, but the grace of Jesus. So as we come to a close this morning, let's resolve to be a people who live as those who have been made brand new by the grace of God. Let us live out the law of love in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.